Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Just like that, the second hour of the Monday edition is here. Putnam Withrow with you. Outkick 360 rolls on. Plenty of football headlines. We've been hitting that through the first hour. We'll continue to do so. In about 20 minutes, we'll head out to Los Angeles. Our Trey Wallace is there on behalf of Outkick. We'll preview. He's not tailgating. Georgia. No, he's not. We know that. No one is. Tailgating. No one is. Strictly prohibited at this game. So he'll not be doing that, but he will be in LA. Um, DeMar Hamlin is headed to Buffalo. Released from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center earlier today. And he releases this statement, headed home to Buffalo today with a lot of love on my heart. Watching the world come together around me on Sunday was truly an amazing feeling. Now, he will be monitored by uh, a hospital in Buffalo, but the UC Medical Center doctors uh, that have been working uh, with him and tending to him say, I can confirm he's doing well, and this is the beginning of the next stage of his recovery. Amazing. After a week after he collapsed on the field with uh, cardiac arrest. Plenty of headlines from the last week or so throughout all of that. One of those was Chris Beard being fired with cause at Texas for the domestic violence um, charges that are headed his way. And with more, we say hello to Amy Dash, friend of the show. You can, of course, catch her with Odyssey. She's the legal expert there. League of Justice. She's the founder. Amy, great to see you. Nice to see you guys. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Only a matter of time. With uh, the firing of Chris Beard, when you saw this and the charges that were or have been levied against him, given the fact of, well, it's going to take some time and the serious nature of this, I'm assuming this was kind of a no brainer when you saw the headline last week. In terms of his firing, that he yes. was going to be fired. Yeah, I thought that it was just a matter of time after the suspension that he would be fired um, just because there was a 911 call. There were serious allegations and he was arrested on a felony charge. And so in most of these contracts, especially with public universities, a felony is a major no, no. And it's a it's an express cause for immediate termination with cause. What was your reaction when the victim in this case issued that statement uh, recounting this? I, I don't know. I don't have the legal background. I don't you know, investigate situations like this often. But in reading a lot about it, Amy, it, it, apparently this is a pretty common thing where the victim will come back after the fact and re- recant different parts of the story, not wanting the perpetrator to get in trouble because of it. Did, did this seem pretty common in what was being claimed after the fact from the victim? It's really hard to say because we don't know what happened behind closed doors. So Beard was alleging that basically um, his glasses were ripped off his face. They were broken and that he wasn't the initial aggressor, that he was defending himself. Uh, But then on the other side, his fiance saying that he impeded her breathing for a couple of seconds, that he had his hands around her neck 
allegedly choking her and then walked that back and said, well, that was in the police report. And police said I said that to them, but I didn't actually tell them that that's what happened. So it, it's really hard to know what happened. Like, for example, if in fact he did choke her and she walks back the statements because she didn't want to get him in trouble, then you would say, you know, that's kind of a sad situation because you have a person who is allegedly stuck in a cycle of abuse who's acting emotionally and still attached to the person who's physically harming them, trying to protect that person. Maybe she has her own personal interests. It's a large contract, tens of millions of dollars. You know, when you reflect on a situation that gets heated later on and realize that the breadwinner or the person who's bringing in all this money, who's supporting you is, is now losing tens of millions of dollars and you're slated to get married to that person. And you are too, you know, obviously you're going to try to remedy that situation. However, if that didn't happen, what was in the police report and, you know, there was a little bit of a scuffle, but it wasn't serious physical contact between the two. Like maybe she's, you know, she broke his glasses and he slaps her hand away or something like that. And there's arguing. You just never know. There may have been no physical contact. Is it likely? Probably not. But I hate to jump to conclusions when I'm not there to know, you know, whether she's just, uh, blaming herself and, you know, under the control of her abuser or alleged abuser, or whether, in fact, this was something that, you know, was manipulated, the situation, uh, because there was they were both so heated in the moment. You're a great legal insider, so you don't jump to conclusions. So allow us to jump to conclusions for you okay. and just throw out this <laughs> hypothetical. Let, let's say that you've, you've got an uncooperative victim here or, or witness to this. Uh, that decides already recanted her story once, does not cooperate with authorities, uh, the DA, everyone. They have no no uh, they have no other option but to drop the charges completely against which Chris is Beard. the likely scenario. Yeah, which, so, without cooperation, that's the likely scenario. So, with that likely scenario, how likely is the scenario that Chris Beard is getting all or a lot of his buyout money from Texas if charges are completely dropped? Oh, no, I don't think so at all. Absolutely not. Because why would they voluntarily pay him such a high salary if he's not going to if he like they're going to try to pay him as little as possible? Oh, I, I know what they're going to try to do. I'm saying from Chris Beard's representation oh, in terms of a lawsuit. And by the way, Chad, yeah. like just so you know, a lot of times victims won't cooperate, not because they're blaming themselves and they have some sort of Stockholm syndrome, but because maybe they're being paid not to cooperate. Right. By the person. Well, so and, and, and uh, Sam, I, in terms I, of litigation. Yeah. That's what you're asking. In terms of litigation, he's got virtually no case. I think he's going to attempt to litigate because there is so much money at stake. But um, I think Mike Leach tried that with Texas Tech and it was unsuccessful because Texas is one of the few states in the nation that has sovereign immunity clause that protects the public universities. So you actually need the legislature's permission to sue. There are a couple of ex exceptions. There's one special statute that outlines exceptions, but none of those really apply here. And most of those relate to personal injury claims. So um, it's interesting because when the because you might think to yourself, well, that doesn't make sense because all the contracts would be null and void, right? So you're entering into an employment contract with a university and you can't even rely on them facing any liability because they're sovereignly immune. So why would you even enter into a contract? It's almost like it means nothing. But when they enter into the contract, they expressly waive their um, their immunity from liability, but not their immunity immunity from being sued. 
So you can sue them because they've waived their immunity from liability, but you still need the legislature's permission or a special statute giving you the permission to actually bring the lawsuit. So it's totally in the university's favor and it's completely tricky. Um, a lot of times you can try to make the argument that if there's an express provision in the contract, meaning something's expressly laid out, like it says, for example, in his situation, uh, the university before it releases him, and I'm making this up, I don't know the terms of his contract, but before it releases him has to do an investigation. And part of that inv investigation has to be that they have to interview him and the alleged victim, which his attorney is claiming they didn't do. So then you would go to court and say, well, they violated an express procedural provision here that requires a certain certain steps in an investigation that were objectively never taken. So because they violated that express provision, now they've waived sovereign immunity. Sometimes you can do that. But again, you still need permission to sue. So you have to go to the legislature, try to get a resolution. And that's what Mike Leach did. And it was unsuccessful because they're not going to be sympathetic to somebody who's facing these types of charges, whether they're true or not. And we know all these huge contracts, they have morality clauses and clauses for arrest and things like this. Amy, is it your understanding that the language in most of these contracts would be charged with a felony, you're fired with cause and not convicted of a felony? Yeah, it's a really it's a smart question because he was arrested on a felony. Yes. So what if the prosecutor, like you said, decides not to bring the felony charge? And so, yeah, if it's that specific. But my hunch is that it's broader and that there are also catch alls in these contractual clauses. For example, the university uh, attorney said something like it was conduct unbecoming of the university. And it's an independent determination from whether or not the prosecution goes forward. So there might be some language in there that says if your conduct unbecoming of the university, you know, sort of like conduct detrimental in football, uh, then we can do this. And they know that they have all of the leverage in this situation because of the sovereign immunity clause. And how broad is it, Amy Dash, our guest, um, whenever they say that uh, the, the events impaired his ability to effectively lead our program? That's extremely broad. And uh, I'm assuming on the university's end, you can interpret that in many ways. And meanwhile, Beard's team is going to, if we get down this path, try to really pinpoint what exactly that would mean. Well, it depends on if you're Chris Beard. I mean, if you are not going to face any charges, and by the way, there's a likelihood that maybe he like pleads down to a misdemeanor just to get this done. If he doesn't have a criminal record, he gets probation and he moves on with his life. So if you're him uh, and you're not prosecuted and you're able to move away on the criminal side, and let's say you don't have to deal with any type of civil suit, you pay off the alleged person. This is all hypothetical, of course. He might say, like, how would this impede my ability to move forward in coaching this team? I had a bad night. Uh, this is a personal matter. We've moved past it. I'm not facing any consequence. There's going to be no ongoing litigation. You know, I'm back and I'm ready to coach this team. So, Amy, I've got to completely just talking about all this. Another hypothetical popped in my mind. And you, you may be able to answer this. You may not. So last night in the NFL game where Quay Walker pushes down the medical personnel person and gets ejected from the game, right? We know that if a fan enters the, the field of play, they waive all rights at that point. So when an NFL player you know, tackles the, the fan and they get injured, they have waived their right to sue for the most part. I know you can sue at any time, but they're probably not going to win when they go out onto the field of play. 
if there's a support staff person, obviously this this person was not hurt by the little shove, but let's say that a football player in a game decides they're angry at someone on the sideline, hits them, makes physical contact with them, injures them in some way. I'm not talking about another player or even a coach. Support staff person that's employed by an NFL team. Can they sue a player for doing something yeah. like that? Yeah, they could sue. And there could also be criminal charges for assault. Like you, you've seen in a lot of on-the-field skirmishes. I mean, even what happened with Michigan, Michigan State. Um, between players, between coaches, between any type of staff. Yeah, there can be criminal charges and there can be a civil suit, but a civil suit is going to be really hard to win if there's no actual bodily injuries. But you could always have a criminal charge, which is likely not going to happen because of the politics behind it all, right? Because the team's going to get involved and the person who works for the team's not going to want to make a big deal. So that's not going to happen. But it could happen um, because assault doesn't even have to be physical contact. It could just be the threat of physical contact or even more, uh, you know, loose about in terms of the actual definition of it. It could be the perception that somebody's going to hurt you. And, and a reasonable person would have that same perception. Yeah, it's and the person who's almost going to hurt you or who threatens to hurt you might say, well, I had no idea that that would put that person in fear of me actually assaulting them. And it's crazy we're even thinking or talking about this after the week we've had supporting medical personnel and first responders yeah, that was with Damar Hamlin, night, but it was an odd situation. It just clicked in my head thinking about that. When players hit another player or get into a skirmish on the field or there's a shoving match, if someone were to get injured, they're not going to sue someone else. But when it's someone right. else employed by the team that's out there, that's on the field of play, anyway, but hope that doesn't happen often. That's certainly something we don't see very often. From last I mean, people will sue if there's real bodily injury. Like I remember something happened. Uh, I cover so much. So the details are a little vague, but with Conor McGregor and the bus, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that UFC oh, yeah. and one of the other UFC fighters sustained permanent damage to his eye and he sued. His yeah, it had like colleague. glass in his eye or something. Yeah. And it, it had blinded him in part, at least. And he sued his colleague civilly. And I so mean, never say never. And he's only, um, Fighting that guy's probably only fighting three times in a year, and it kept him right. out of that fight. So he's also suing for the money that he would have made just by making weight, which was that was a press conference or something that day. So he was on he was on pace to make weight too. So yeah, that's that is very very interesting. Um, Amy, thank you for the perspective here. I feel like we're just getting started with this process with Chris Beard in Texas, and uh, it's going to be really fascinating if there are no charges brought and his immediate response from from his attorneys and legal team. Yeah, though, I think it's just going to be blowing a lot of smoke, unfortunately for him. And I think uh, it's going to be tossed right away. But, you know, Leach ended up getting a four hundred thousand dollar a year, I think, severance package for four years. So, yeah, if you think about him losing twenty five million dollars on a five year contract that's remaining, it's a lot of money, but it's not like he's going to be left empty handed. I'm sure he's going to get something, you know, something similar, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a lot of money for most people to live on, to not work. Yeah, let's go with the most likely scenario here. The charges are eventually dropped, but he doesn't get a dime because he's been fired uh -huh. with cause. A year or two from now, Amy Dash is the legal counsel for a university, and your AD comes to you and says, we want to hire Chris Beard. What is, what is your legal advice to the AD in terms of due diligence when someone, because we know someone's going to hire him at some point. Yeah, 
I mean, he's going to be free to be hired by whoever he wants. I think they're probably going to want to see that he went into some sort of anger management or rehab or therapy. Uh, of course, it might help if he's not in that relationship, if they if they feel that that relationship has some sort of a history of this type of contentious conduct. Um, so, yeah, it's a PR look, as we've seen, you know, people wait for things to blow over and then they go after somebody if they feel that they're qualified and they can get them a win. Certainly he's proved that he's a good enough coach to get rehired and maybe they'll sit down with him and maybe they'll sit down with the fiance if she's still part of the picture and say, tell us your version of events. And that's what happened with the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. They chose to believe his version of events. They put their faith in him. And, you know, that's probably Chris Beard's probably going to have to be very convincing. Follow her on social at Amy-TV with Odyssey and uh, the founder of League of Justice. Amy, thank you for the perspective. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Take care, guys. All right. There's Amy Thanks, Dash. Amy. Uh, coming up, we go from their great legal analysis to Los Angeles. Where we A lot get, of lawyers in Los Angeles, too. Uh, no doubt. Uh, Trey Wallace previews the national championship game. TCU trying to take down Georgia. Next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Tonight at SoFi, Georgia and TCU for the national championship. Welcome back. Outkick 360 rolls on. Trey Wallace with us from Outkick.com. He's out in California covering the game tonight and all of the reaction and all of the coverage leading up to kickoff in a couple of hours. It's right now at Outkick. Trey, hope things are well. Yeah, it's good. It's a it's a rainy, gloomy day. So thank goodness the game is uh, indoors tonight, or at least has a roof. I don't know if you want to call it indoors, but it's got a roof. So uh, yeah, getting excited. Uh, Georgia TCU here in a couple hours, and uh, there is a lot of purple here in Los Angeles. Yeah, and they the discussion from I mean Rovell put out some report that they hadn't sold out of their ticket allotment, which is not true. That the AD came back over the top and was like, I mean, in fact, we've turned a lot of people away. But uh, Chad and I discussed at the end of last week, how could you not go to this game if you're a TCU Horn Frog? I trust Richard Nixon more than I trust Darren <laughs> Ravel. Um, but no, I, I think that, look, overall, like it, it, it's just an environment where, last, you know, last night, you know, you got Georgia fans barking, you got TCU fans going back and forth, and, and you, you can't mess up this moment. It's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, maybe TCU gets a shot down the road again and they're doing this, but I think overall, what I'm seeing from fans and talking with fans is like, we're not missing out on this. Like, this is huge for us. This is huge for our program. If we pull it off, it'll be magnificent. So I, I, I look at this game and, and I just feel like, you know, this could be a, a shocking result uh, if TCU were to pull this thing off. And talk about just elevating your program and taking even further if Sonny Dykes can do it. So it's a, it's a big task tonight against Georgia, but uh, don't put anything past Max Duggan and the Horn Frogs. 
Trey, what do you think about this quarterback matchup? Just, uh, you know, skill set wise, talent wise. Stetson Bennett, we know obviously is very clutch, put up great numbers this year. Max Duggan has, hasn't played in a national championship game, but looked pretty good in their win over Michigan. Not great passing, but really good running the ball. What do you make of just, I know they're not going to be on the field at the same time, but quarterback matchup head to head between Bennett and Duggan? Yeah, I, I feel like this is uh, – you got two quarterbacks that are almost alike in a way. You know, Stetson likes to run the ball when he, whenever he breaks down uh, the pocket does, and so does Max Duggan. I think you're going to see a little bit more out of Duggan when it comes to rushing the football tonight. But I, but I like the quarterback comparison. Um, if, if you're, you know, straight up looking at it, I think when you see Max Duggan, you're like, okay, this is the type of quarterback, in my opinion, that, you know – um, uh, can make the passes down the field. The same as Stetson Bennett, but he's relied on more. Without Condre Miller tonight, if TCU does not have him at full go, and I don't expect him to be at full go with a sprain coming off a sprained MCL with only one week uh, to prepare for that, uh, Duggan's going to have to be a different quarterback tonight compared to the way Stetson Bennett plays. So I, I just – this game just for some reason screams like back and forth – quarterback battle Let, let's see who's gritty enough to make the plays down the field and especially resting the football so I, I am very very intrigued you know if if TCU's defense gets after Stetson Bennett knocks him out of the game or if Max Duggan gets knocked out of the game like this thing can flip really quick and uh, I promise you after talking with some folks the defense is going to be headhunting tonight there's no end in sight with Georgia's dominance that's that's for sure but the back-to-back titles would put them in rarefied air and you start discussing dynasty more than just top program um they have a they're already on top of the mantle but they have a chance to really solidify any argument against it isn't it crazy the conversation changes about georgia you know like this is a program we see recruiting well and we see doing well in the field but i mean if they can only lose one game in two seasons like this is domination you know this is this is alabama level and if, and if they can get to that point, Kirby puts himself at a different level in college football, period. Um, uh, you have to think about it this way, too. Stetson Bennett, of all quarterbacks, guys, three years ago, if we just said Stetson Bennett is going to leave Georgia um, as the breaking records, single-season passing records, breaking records with back-to-back national championships, you know, rushing yards, we probably, you know, we'd have called each other crazy. But you look back on it now, you know, and, and I think with Georgia – there is this dominance on defense along the defensive line. And then you've got an offense that just gets it done. Like, you know, you can rush the football. If Stetson needs to, he can hit you with the play action. Like tonight, that's what I'm interested in. What kind of pass rush can Georgia get? And then it sets up with Stetson. Okay, what's he look like in the pocket? Can he pick off, you know, D winners, linebacker for TCU across the middle? Like, just – you know, I, I know people look at this game and they say, oh, Georgia's 13 and a half point underdog. I mean, I'm sorry, favorite. TCU doesn't have a chance. They don't have Conjury Miller. Like, these guys have done this multiple times this year. And, and, and I'm talking about TCU. have won games that maybe folks didn't think they'd pull out. And, and I know Georgia is a different animal. But this is a group of kids that, man, they just go out there and they just win games. And, and I just feel like we're going to see a – electrifying performance in the first half. Now, does TCU get worn down in the second half? Maybe, but we've seen them just battle back in second half all season long. With Look what they did against Michigan last year. I mean, last week. 
So what do we get tonight? Hopefully we get four quarters of good football that comes down to the last possession and it's not some 30-point blowout and, and maybe TCU shocks the world. On the other hand, you know, maybe Georgia goes back-to-back and we look at this this little run right here as maybe the most dominant we've seen in, in years. And certainly most of the people nationally that don't have money on the Bulldogs tonight will be rooting for TCU in this game to knock off Georgia in a big upset in what would be a crazy story as a two-touchdown underdog if TCU wins a national title, given everything. One more point, though, on about Georgia, Trey. This staff is just very Georgia. So where most dynasties get picked apart on their staff – Will Muschamp is a Georgia grad. No one came calling for him this offseason. Kirby Smart's never going to leave. There's not a job in America that he's going to take, even in the NFL, other than his alma mater and a dynasty that he's built. And then Munkin is 56 years old. Normally, programs that are this good are worried about their assistants being raided every single offseason. They lost Dan Lanning a year ago, but I don't know that that's going to happen with this Georgia dynasty right now. I don't think so. I talked to I talked to Will Muschamp uh, two days ago at uh, yesterday at, at media day, and he he told me straight up like I'm not ready to get back into head coaching. You know, he he told me that you know there was a time in 2012 when he was told by the Florida president, you know, here comes the transfer portal, get prepared. Think about that. Ten years ago, Will Muschamp was told by his president in Florida that the transfer portal was coming and it's going to be crazy. He's not wanting to get back into the the head coaching game. Um, he, he is comfortable in Georgia. You know, if, if something happens, Shulman ends up leaving, you know, he can be straight up defensive coordinator. You look at this staff and, and how they're – if they have to replace somebody that maybe goes off to the NFL or whatnot, it's an easy fix for Kirby. But this is a Georgia through-and-through staff. And, and what they've been able to do when it comes to recruiting, what they've been able to do when it comes to, you know, picking the right players from the portal, but also just not letting things drop off in Athens, guys. Like, that's a thing that stands out to me. It's like, you know – you come off last season where you win that national championship against Alabama, you lose all of those players, those NFL stars. And one of them made news last night, Quay Walker, for something he shouldn't have done. But now you look at this team this year and you're like, wait a minute, these guys just reloaded again. Like, is this is this Alabama 2.0? That's exactly what you're seeing. So I, I think with the staff right now, I think they're set for a very long time. And um, Kirby Smart knows what he's doing. I give him a lot of credit. Trey, what else were you struck by just in your weekend of coverage there uh, in conversations, press conferences, whatever it might be? Yeah, that struck by, you know, <clears throat> talked to a couple of DCU people off the record, talked about Texas A&M, uh, how they've kind of taken the fall in the state, you know, uh, when it comes to the way things are perceived right now in College Station uh, with, with hiring Bobby Petrino, having DJ Durkin on that, that, that staff as well. Um, I got a couple of laughs out of some TCU folks who will go unnamed uh, about what's going on with Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, I was talking to one high-ranking official, you know, um, and, and, and I'll just say in the state of Texas, <laughs> who told me that, you know, if Jimbo Fisher, he don't get it done next year. He said they're going to they're gonna write him a check. Like if they come out and try to win seven, eight games next year, they're going to write him a check. Like they have got to be in playoff contention when this expansion comes. And I think that's the big thing that we're looking at. Texas, Oklahoma joining early. Um, you got the Big Ten that's getting their own guys in there with USC and, and UCLA. So a lot of it's been about transfer portal. A lot of it's been about um, NIL. 
that this is not what they expected it to be, but too bad you didn't have any rules set up in place. So now all you're doing is paying players to come there. So, you know, just it's been interesting to to hear, you know, people get, getting people's opinions on some of the schools that should be in playoff contention every year that even with a 12-team playoff that, you know, maybe they get lucky, but it just doesn't feel like they're going to win national championship. And one of those schools that was talked about a lot, guys, was Texas A&M. So um, I don't know if it's a lot of hate because TCU's in town and they, they don't like the Aggies or it's Georgia and, 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 and Kirby Smart and, and their fans. But um, it, it's just going to be very interesting to see what college football looks like. Um, don't forget, transfer portal closes. Uh, I think, it, if I'm not mistaken, January 19th, I think, is the date uh, that it will close. So you're going to see a lot of teams over the next week try to shore up their rosters before that next one opens in the spring. So Trey Wallace with coverage at outkick.com of tonight's national championship. He's about to head over to Sci- uh, SoFi. Uh, Trey, thank you, man. We'll let you do that, and hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you uh, tomorrow to recap and give thoughts on, on what you've observed postgame. Guys, I really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been good. Outkicks out here and, and doing a great job with coverage, guys, and everybody back home. And uh, you guys continue to crush it. And uh, let's wrap the college football season up strong. Thanks, boys. Have yeah, fun, man. Trey. Talk to you soon. Trey Wallace there. Uh, and again, great coverage at Outkick through Trey. Check out the podcast with Trey as well, Trey Wallace Podcast. Um, you know, he mentioned Will Muschamp, but not wanting to get back into coaching just yet. I would say he will whenever Witt, his son, decides on where he wants to play football. <laughs> Yeah, they could be a package deal. They could be a, hey, I'll be the head coach and I'll coach my son wherever we go. Yeah, it's just... We called his game. I just, it's not, it's a very uncommon circumstance right now at Georgia that they are being led by a dynamo head coach who Mm. played football for their school. That's not going to flirt with a lot of other jobs every offseason. And Georgia is going to obviously pay him what they feel he's worth, and that's the top level at the all of college football. He's right behind uh, Nick Saban right now, almost dead even with him, and that's what he's worth right now yep. based on about to win a second national championship. So They'll both get raises again. Will Muschamp, I mean, you know, to say that he's not ready to be a head coach, I, I don't know that he's getting a lot of interest right now is the, is the biggest problem with that. He, he's going to be interested in, in moving on and being a head coach again at some point. He'll get that opportunity because Georgia is not going to stop recruiting every year. They had the number one overall pick a year ago in Trayvon Walker. They may have another number one overall pick in Jalen Carter on the interior defensive line this and year. I mean, it's incredible the amount of talent they're turning out. Um, the fact that you've got a recruiting base right there in your state that if you get the guys you want in the state of Georgia, you're going to be a national championship contender every year. It's a great spot if you're a Bulldogs fan right now. Uh, enjoy it. Because it also, I would say, enjoy it. Doesn't happen all the time. It may happen for a while, the way things are set up with the Bulldogs. And on the flip side with TCU, Hutton, I think they're set up great in the changing college football landscape to be a factor in that conference every year and be in a 12-team playoff regularly. it's huge for the 12, the Big 12, uh, to have TCU represent this and potentially win a title. And it's not Texas or Oklahoma that are even being mentioned in the conversation of potential teams that could do that right now. And Sonny Dykes, I mean, we, for all the discussion of, of Kirby Smart, and rightfully so with Kirby and his staff, I, I, I'm at fault here. I haven't given Sonny Dykes enough credit going into this game like we would if this was Saban or Ryan Day even from what we saw last, last week. Um, I'm curious to see how the TCU coaching staff 
uh, approaches the game plan tonight, especially on offense, and if they can get after Stetson Bennett and rush the passer the way Ohio State was early in that football game. A couple of notes here. If Georgia wins tonight, it's going. They, they will tie the major college record with 29 wins over two seasons. 29 and one will be that record. 12 of those 29 wins came against ranked teams during this stretch, and six in six in the SEC title and playoff games for those victories. Um, crazy to think about the teams they've won against throughout this run and the dominance that they've had. Uh, Georgia, they are 32 and won their last 33 games. Only Miami, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, Florida State, and USC are the programs that have done that. And CBS goes on to point out 14 straight games over Power 5 schools, 44-5 and in regular season SEC games. I mean, it's, it is Alabama-like, and honestly, I mean, it's, it's not even Alabama-like. It's now Georgia-like. You know, it's now no, it's, it, it, they're, it's they're the not, bar. I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is not changing. This is an in this is an infallible program right now. Now, they could guess wrong on quarterback one time. You know, they could have a bad string of injuries and yeah. miss a playoff mm-hmm. one year. But the way they're set up right now, there's no one uh, that's close to catching them. Um, you know, in the SEC, Alabama's always going to be a factor. I think LSU's a team to watch. Tennessee's a team to watch with their offense if they continue to get better players. But Hutton, next year's odds to win the national championship. Let's go ahead and look ahead about what to look at next year. Okay. Based on very early Vegas odds, Georgia is plus 300, Ohio State plus 700. Stop me when you hear something out of line. Okay. Alabama's plus 700, same as Ohio State. Michigan plus 800. USC plus 1,200, Clemson plus 1,600, Texas plus 1,800, Tennessee plus 2,000, tied with Florida State at plus 2,000 for ninth, and then LSU and Penn State, all at plus 2,000 as well. So Tennessee, Florida State, LSU, Penn State, right on the edge of basically ranked 7 through 11, tied for the odds. But what is out of, out of whack here? It's Texas, plus 1,800. You want to talk about an important year? Steve Sarkeesian is going to enter a very important year. They were disappointing this season. Quinn Ewers is a bigger prospect than Arch Manning was in terms of rating. Okay? Arch Manning is Arch Manning. He's got the lineage. He's got the family. He's got the bloodline. He's got the marketability. I get it. He's going to be a great player, I think. But if Arch Manning doesn't work out and win 11 games a year and compete for national championships, whose fault is it? They're not going to blame Arch Manning. They're going to blame Steve Sarkeesian, well, who last time we saw him, the guy's cussing out of someone yeah. helping out the bowl game by keeping him, holding him back before he runs out on the field. It's a big year for Sark. I, I'm just looking at that top 10, and based on what we saw this year, there's really only two teams you'd say, well, it's a little bit out of place, Texas, Florida State. But Florida State's got a Florida great State's team coming back. on the rise. Texas, I mean, the thing is, the, the committee had Texas high with two losses and three losses on the season. They were game out of the Big 12 championship game. If they just win at the end. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think it's all bad. And landing Arch Manning was a huge win oh, it's incredible. for Texas. Because and, then, then and you Steve get the windfall of, of him with other recruits. I'm just not sold so far. I'm, I'm not sold on their transi- transition to the SEC, and that's going to be smooth. I'm not sold on what they got. In their biggest moment, they couldn't score against TCU. 
in a game where they had a chance to beat TCU at home, and Quinn Ewers was big-time disappointing. Sarkeesian's play calling was big-time disappointing yeah. in that one in a home game. I'm just not sold. Man, it's hard. it's hard not to put them in the conversation, though, with Manning. You know? Oh, they, they're uh, going to have to be. Because uh, what but they, my point is that they've set the bar now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's high but to begin with at Texas, but that bar is insanely high now when Arch Manning becomes a starting quarterback. But in the world of the transfer portal, I feel pretty confident in a, a Arch Manning selecting a school and sticking with the school. I realize that's oh, crazy. Yeah. But that's, that's even more so in line with why, unless it's due to some crazy injury, it's hard for me seeing a Manning fail, right? Uh, those guys win, and, and well, they even lead, when the one time lead. the one time where they may have been set up to fail, they held out their son Eli sure. from yeah. going to the Chargers and got but, him to the Giants. I mean, they orchestrated the draft to where it was set up they, for success, and he won chose, two Super Bowls because of that. But that same that that orchestrated that move out of with the, the Chargers, but to the Giants. Um, and no, no, we're not trying to say the, the exact situation there, but you had to, you have an opportunity to pick and they chose Sark. Take that in consideration that he's the head coach when they landed Arch Manning. Uh, that also to me is a check mark in, in his category, but yeah, I mean, it's time to win. Maybe it's, it's time to pick up and go. And especially with A&M down and with TCU playing the way they're playing in the state. He looked like a crazy person before oh, that insane. bowl game. He was awful. I mean, I understand, like, in the heat of the moment on a football field with players or yeah. another coach, like, you know, you're going to have heated words. That was zero to a million out of nowhere it, at some kid who's just got a headset on trying to make sure they run out at just the right time for the confetti to hit at the bowl game you're playing in. That was a weird, bad look. For Sarkeesian and Texas fans want to downplay it. It's not some fireable offense no, or some it's... national issue. And it has nothing to do with his curse words either. Which when I tweeted about this, people are like, oh, you don't think no, other coaches it's the reaction. cuss? It's not about cussing. Every, Zero to 100. Most every coach cusses. <laughs> I'm talking about you don't do that to some staffer right before you run out for a game. It's just very unleader-like to snap to that level and, in that moment. It's just weird. And how many games has he been a part of where – you have to hold the tunnel until it's time to go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just the, to be that amped up in that moment, to be calm and then just all in, all at it, like you're getting hyped up for a, a UFC fight. Yeah, I mean, fight sh- should the just... guy be like, you know, keep their hand on him? Maybe <laughs> not, but I mean, there's a way to act annoyed. Like, hey, I got it. You don't have to, you know, hold me back. <laughs> you can say something. You don't just go you know, prison justice on yeah. him oh, yeah. in his face right before you run out yeah, of the tunnel. Scared straight. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, a little bit of Matt Foley from Chris Farley's <laughs> character uh, with this kid. It was nuts. Oh, coming out also crazy. Uh, our, I'm sure some of our predictions across the AFC and NFC. We'll take a look at our preseason predictions versus the current playoff field for the NFL. I don't remember a single one, so this is going to be a refresher for me. I don't know what I picked for anything. We'll see, we'll see how, how good we yeah, did. Well, we'll find out next. next. Uh, that's coming up on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Chad, I, I don't know if I'm looking forward to this segment or not. Uh, I am looking forward to our next guest. Brad Gaines will be with us in about 10 minutes. Um, our little pre-interview talk has already got yeah. me excited about talking with Brad. Yeah, so um, and great news, by the way, with Damar Hamlin, yeah. who has been released of the uh, UC Medical Center uh, hospital on his way to Buffalo and um, all signs pointing to a miraculous recovery where we could go tonight. We weren't saying the same thing when we came in on Tuesday morning. We were hoping for the best, but everyone expecting the worst based on what everyone saw. Um, and now we're on to the playoffs a week later. And that's the focus, which is great. Uh, my focus was wrong, Jeff, the AFC South. Were you focused when you made these wow. picks? Uh, I thought I was. So here's my here are my preseason predictions for the NFL playoffs, okay? Um, we were both focused and sober when we made these selections. Correct. We correct. Can, can confirm that was the case. Uh, AFC division winners, Baltimore, Buffalo, L.A., and Tennessee. Uh, and the wild card, Bengals, Colts, and Chiefs. Now, Swing and a miss on the Colts by far throughout the entire season. The Titans fall off, losing seven straight games. They were 7-3 and three at one point, so that, that's not a horrible pick. And Baltimore not winning the division because Lamar Jackson missed, what, the last six games, I believe. Um, I would flip-flop the Bengals and Ravens in a heartbeat right now and tell you I think uh, Cincinnati is a far better team. But Kansas City getting the one seed, I bought into the hype of the Chargers, and it's flip-flop for me. Uh, based on the results versus predictions in the AFC. Not too bad, though. Yeah, but I, the, the Colts is a huge miss because I didn't trust them to go through Jonathan Taylor to begin with. Yeah, not bad. Are we going with your NFC picks next? Okay, Hutton's NFC picks. So uh, Philadelphia out of the uh, AF, uh, NFC East, to me, uh, I, I was buying into the investment at wide receiver. I had Green Bay winning, uh, followed by you chose wisely. Uh, Rams. <laughs> uh, winning their division and the Saints. Look at those. Look at that four pack of teams. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just misery. Uh, I don't think I'm going to like my NFC pick, picks either. It but. looks like I was predicting teams that were going to be w- without a coach or without a quarterback. In Let's pick the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest uh, downers, the Debbie Downers <laughs> yeah. of 2022. And then Hutton went through those teams. Yeah. So, yeah, give uh, Tampa and Philly. And I, thought Vikings could make a, a, a playoff push. I was not expecting them to run away with their division. And no one's really predicting them to win you this weekend. You still got four of the seven playoff teams right. So that's not too bad yeah, in but the NFC. Matt, but the, the division, the, steering the division was not good for me in the NFC. No, Chad, I, I don't Not I, great. Who did you have out of the AFC? Let's look at it. AFC picks. Um, flip-flop Bengals, yeah. Ravens, but not bad. Bills, we all nailed on that one. Chiefs, I, I've never been a Chargers believer. Now, that bit me, not putting them as a wild card team, but Chiefs win the division. We all swung and missed on the Titans winning the, the South. And Hutton and I, too, uh, would regrettably pick the Colts to be in the playoffs. And the Raiders, not good. Not a good pick with the Raiders. Let's look at my NFC picks. I'm hoping I did better. Yeah, kind of. San Fran. I got three of the four division winners right. Other than the Packers, and you got two five teams in two of the three, yeah, five of the seven, not bad. I'll, I'll take that. If every year you told me I could pick five of the seven playoff teams going into a conference, then well, it's not bad at all. And it was 
awful considering you would have had all but one if Green Bay just wins that game uh, last This night. does refresh my memory. I do believe, and I, I still have this as my pick right now, I think I picked Bills over 49ers for the Super Bowl mm. this year. And I think that that would still be my pick. So I'm staying strong with my Super Bowl pick. I had Bills and Rams. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's Buffalo or bust for me. Although I would change it right now. Maybe we can get to that later uh, if you want. But I would, I would change my Super Bowl pick. I'd say the in. biggest. Even though everything is pointing in Buffalo's favor, including the country and America's team now resides in Buffalo I mean, for the, the postseason. But still, I'd say the biggest mulligan for both of us is probably the same team, the Colts, being a wild card team. Yes. That's the highest draft pick that we have on our, on our board. They're picking fourth overall, and we both had them in the playoffs. <laughs> so that's not ideal. And none of us would have None of us had the Bears. Hey. The other three teams, none of us had the Bears, the Texans, and who am I leaving out? That's another top three pick. The top three pick. Oh, the... the They're, the Colts are picking fourth. Bears one, oh, the Texans Seahawks. two. No, the Seahawks are fifth, though, I think. Yeah. Now, after yesterday's result. But it would have been Denver. It's actually Denver's pick. I was going to say... There we, it is, Arizona. I was going to say none of us had uh, uh, Denver in that. And they were the... Hot team to make a, a push out of that division. Thank you, Tyler. Yes. Bears one, Texans two, Arizona three, Indy four, Seattle five. None of us had any of the other top five picks. Thank goodness. But we both had the, <laughs> the Colts. Cliff Kingsbury the out in Arizona. Not great. Steve Kime as well. And you have Michael Bidwell saying they're going to have a vast search. And the first name I saw was Far and wide. Vance Joseph. Far and is who wide. they want to speak with. Um, Just hire Bill O'Brien. Adrian Wilson in their front office right now, I think, is a good candidate for GM. They may have their answer right there. I'll tell you, be a great candidate. Titans offensive coordinator Todd (laughs) Down. Brad Gaines joins us in studio next.